0: what is up guys rltk phx podcast real talk phoenix episode 32 32 right we've been having some uh really great podcasts the past couple of weeks i feel like yeah and i'm super excited for today's podcast uh as you guys know there's a lot of stuff going on in our world right now uh, a lot of different uh, conversations about mm-hmm. uh, local law enforcement and about uh, their interactions with people and all those different types of things and so uh, today we wanted to really hear from somebody that lives in that world and in that yeah. space um and and kind of get their perspective on what what that's like yeah. and um, how they see that working out and what's the mm-hmm. future of all those types of things look like me in particular as a as a uh, a young black man i call myself young yeah i'm excited about it because it's not every day that you get these opportunities yeah. and so uh so yeah i wanted to introduce you to you guys my my friend Ben. Yeah. So Ben, what's up? What's going on? What's up, my man?
1: Chilling, chilling. Excited for the podcast.
2: Yes, for sure. And so Jordan was introducing a little bit, but for those of you who are in audience and and you know me, I've got a lot of friends, and so I'm going to be careful. We want to be careful. If you're wondering why the screen is blacked out, uh, just for the sake of controversy for the sake of, um, you know, protecting people's careers and things that may get dusted up. We decided to keep, um, his identity concealed so that he could be 100% transparent. Um, we don't want you guys to think that, you know, on our podcast that we're trying to play any funny business or anything like that, or just give you one side as you've come to know we're conversationalists. And in that conversation, sometimes things can get out of balance. You start talking to people who always tell you the same things and, and who agree with you all the time or who uh, kind of line up with your viewpoints. And so we thought it would be cool uh, to have someone who was from law enforcement. But at the same time, a little background on my buddy, Ben, we've been friends for a long time. Um, he's got a rich history of just serving and loving people. He's not just a, a a dude out here who, you know, joined the law enforcement because he wanted to carry a gun around and control people like He's a really great dude, but I don't want to get into too much of his story. I want to let him do that himself. So Ben, why don't you take it away, man, to share with our audience maybe a little bit about your story, whatever you feel like sharing, and then kind of explain to them um, what got you into law enforcement.
1: So I will start off by saying I really didn't want to get into law enforcement. Uh, in, the beginning. <laughs> in fact, uh, when I was a kid, I remember just hating cops. Like, I'm such a hip hop dude. And so, like, I just I grew up with that culture. Right. And it's like F the police and, and all that kind of stuff. That was the music that I grew up on. And I didn't know anybody that was a police officer. Oh, wow. So that culture spoke louder to me than anything else because I didn't have a opposing viewpoint from that so, uh, you know, going through in, in high school, uh, you know, I, I became a Christian and was actually pursuing uh, a role in ministry. Uh, so I was actually licensed as a minister when I was 17 yep. and went to Bible college to uh, really kind of uh, pursue the educational side of that. And when I was in college, I got an opportunity to go speak at a church and I was doing a, uh, a message and it was really focused on the Good Samaritan and kind of the word picture. I'm one of those guys that learn from word pictures. And so the word picture that that came from it uh, was kind of based upon Cross Movement, which is a Christian hip hop rap group
3: yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, back in the day. So they had an album called Human Emergency, right? So it was kind of based upon this idea of emergency response. Mm. And it really led me to a place of thinking, like, man, within the confines of that story of the Good Samaritan, like, the, there's our, the, when you see a person that's laid out on the side of the road, like in the story, those are signs and signals that there's an emergency. And mm-hmm. in the same way, a police car has those lights and sirens. Those are signs and signals that an emergency is going. Mm-hmm. But the question is, do we yield to that emergency like we're supposed to do legally? We're supposed to move to the right. Uh, do we yield to that emergency or do we just keep on going? Wow. And so at the conclusion of that message, I got approached by a guy who came up to me and was like, if you want to see a human emergency, you come ride with me. Wow. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really know who this dude is. Like, that was my first time to ever meet him. So that was like his first opening statement to me. <laughs> uh, he's like, man, come, you know, I'm a police officer. Come ride with me. And I'm like, well, I don't really, I'm thinking I don't really like cops, but, you know, maybe we'll get some free donuts.
3: <laughs>
1: oh, dang. Uh, you know, like, we'll, we'll just ride around and, you know, I'll watch him write people tickets and, you know, ruin their lives because that's what cops do. Uh, that was my mentality of it. And so I got an opportunity to go ride with them. And man, it, it it blew my mind. We were going to so many calls of like domestic disturbances and, you know, people using weapons to hurt one another. And I'm seeing the 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 richest house you know, in this city. And I saw the, the, you know, the cheapest house in the city. And it's like, there, there was so much stuff in there that I had never seen or experienced before. Mm. And I remember being in that patrol car and God said, when I called you to ministry, when I called you to helping people, this is what I was talking about.
3: Wow. So
1: it was and, that clear so,
3: to
2: you?
1: Yeah. that and, and that honestly was a difficult road to walk in that regard because it was like, I, I grew up hating them, and now it's like, <laughs> and now I'm supposed to be one.
3: <laughs> no, you're to <don't laughs> be one.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, wow. from the law enforcement perspective, that's kind of how I, I started down that road. Um, you know, I, I got an opportunity to to meet some additional police officers, and I rode with about four, or five different police departments, uh, just to, you know, sitting in, in the front seat, just talking to officers and learning about what that looked like. Mm. Um, I I put in an application at one department in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I got hired, and I've been there 15 years.
2: Wow. So what were some of those – like you're saying you know, some broad things about things that you were seeing, but does anything really kind of stick out in that time when you were exploring that really, really solidified it? Or was it just a culmination of everything, like as you went on and had conversations?
1: Man, that (laughs) – there, there was so many things that were both good and bad uh, mm. that I experienced, you know, while I was finishing my school. So that, that whole call into law enforcement probably happened maybe my, my sophomore year of college. Um, and, and so basically I, you know, I got five years of college, uh, and, I, and I stuffed those four years that you're supposed to do into those five years, and, uh, you know, was able to get my degree and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, all that to say, it, it was crazy because like with some officers that I rode with, um, you know, I remember being at one department and I was in jail because, of, well, let me let me clarify. I was I was not in jail in that regard, like I was in dispatch, I was watching an officer who had arrested somebody while the officer I was riding with, um, you know, was was doing a report. And I was just watching the closed circuit TV and uh, they brought in this individual who was probably a 19, 20 year old kid that got arrested for shoplifting. And um, man, th- this kid was running his mouth. Yeah. And the officer that was dealing with him basically grabbed him at the neck and lifted him off of the off of his chair Whoa. and basically pinned him against the wall and slapped him across the face twice. Like I watched that happen. Wow! And I remember thinking, like, is is that what cops are supposed to do? Man. Like, because that reinforces the brutality that I've seen all these years on TV, right? Right. And so I have that extreme. And then I go to another department and ride with another guy, and we went to Chick Fil A, you know, because of course God has His hand on that place. (laughs) Hey, come on, bro!
0: I felt like hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, commercial break. Popeye's (laughs) is flames, bro. Popeye's (laughs) chicken sandwich. (laughs) But I
2: did feel a little twinge in myself when he mentioned Chick Fil A. That Polynesian sauce. Hey, (laughs) Hey, sorry, we're way off track. Chick Fil A.
1: Yep. So we're in the drive-through, right? And so like every Chick-fil-A is, um, man, we, we pull up and they see that it's a police officer. And they're like, hey, thank you for your service. And there's two of us in the car and uh, they they give us free food. And the officer's like, no, hold, hold up. How, how much is it? And they're like, sir, our pleasure. We, we got you today. And he's like, no, seriously, how much is it? And they're said, sir, what we're not going to let you pay it it almost became a point of dispute so the officer's response to that was well how much is the mill for the people behind us and they're like well it's 1375 or whatever so he went ahead and handed them the money and uh paid for the people behind us and before we left he said do not tell them i was the one that paid for it now it's an interesting side note because obviously we're in a marked patrol car but also that particular agency puts the officer's name on the side of the patrol car. Mm-hmm. So if he was doing it for self glorification purposes, man, that would have been a dope opportunity for him because his name is right there. And they could go, man, that great cop just paid for our mill. And there's his name. Let's call in and give him a compliment. And you know, maybe he could get that out of boy about that. Man, and, and those two conflicting stories are a lot of what I saw over my years of research and volunteering and trying to figure out kind of what I'm going to look like as a police officer. Right.
2: What was it about the second story, the second guy at Chick-fil-A, what was it about that and seeing him do that, that really moved you?
1: That he didn't have to do it. Mm. Um, I, I think for, for me, yeah, like good. the yeah. thoughts that were going through my head was like, what if the people behind us had felony warrants out for their arrest? Wow. And he just straight up paid for their food without knowing any, any information about them. And on the, the flip side of that, the other thought that I had was, man, maybe that's a single mom who was trying to decide, okay, do I put money in my car, you know, in, in gas so I can get to work in the morning or do I feed myself and my family right now? Yeah. And had to make that decision. And either way, he took care of the people regardless of who they were.
2: Yeah, I mean and what that really, was
1: my impact.
2: What really sticks out to me, bro, just listening to it, is he didn't use his privilege for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like for me, that's like that's a big deal because I think if I was a cop, bro, I'd, I'd be rolling. I'd be a, a Chick Fil A every day. You know, Popeyes, I wouldn't even be on on duty. I'd just like put my uniform on, <laughs> <laughs>
1: get some Chick Fil A. There there are those dudes. Like, trust me. There that's are why I
0: should not be a cop. He's not a cop. <laughs>
1: in, they they order, you know, they'll they'll get off of work and they'll go hit like the you know dinner spot and, and get a whole pizza and bring it home for the whole family. Bro. Kind of thing. It's not cool.
2: Bro, that sounds way cool to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's awesome. I I can tell, um, man, like it's like the character aspects meant a lot to you,
0: you know? Yeah, And I bet that was really difficult to look at too, like see those two different worlds in, in that space. So like, how in your mind did you reconcile the reality that there's great good and great bad happening in the same space at the same time?
1: I, I feel like I've been successful in that because I, I've seen the polar opposites on both sides and everything in between. Like, we, we've seen, I mean, just the regular person who's the homeless person on, on the street, uh, we, we hear stories about those individuals that are really millionaires, you know what I mean? And they've basically dedicated all their money to serving other people, and they've just chosen to live that lifestyle. So, you know, their, their detriment is somebody else's gain. Like, we see those news stories. We also see the flip of, you know, people that are basically using their power for improper purposes and they end up in, in prison. And so like I've, I've talked to those people mm-hmm. like on both sides. And, and so wow, like, I feel like I've reconciled with that idea. But what I haven't and what I struggle with is that my timeline is a perfect representation. My social media timeline is a perfect representation of the divide that exists now. And that's where I struggle. Because I get a lot of people that I see that, you know, are police officers that are my friends that I work with. Um, and and so they have these views over here. And then I have other friends, mm. who, you know, have a completely opposing view like what I used to have. And here I am in the middle. Right. And in a sense, I feel very alone there. Man. Uh, because it's, it's not like people are, are willing to leave, quote unquote, their side. To come meet in the middle people just want to be louder instead of mm-hmm. being one to listen
2: man and that's why we wanted to have this conversation bro because it's it's very similar with us can you hear us yeah yeah i thought it was breaking up a little bit yeah
1: not it's, it's so not up, yeah know. i'm and, and and to be fair like this is i want to have these conversations as well um, I, I think that there are probably a good number of officers out there that are afraid to have these conversations because they, they can be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, mm. But I don't get think. In trouble should... for it, you mean? Say it again?
2: Like they'll get in trouble for having the conversation or what?
1: Uh, that That's a part of it. If they said something that could be construed a certain way, mm. that it may be taken out of context and, and there's fear that they may be painted in a certain light, um, versus just, you know, people. And, and I don't think sometimes on, on the other side, sometimes people hear that stuff and they just want to go to the wrong direction with it. Right. They don't want to offer grace to that person that, that they're, they're seeing their words and not their character. Yeah. And so, uh, for, for me, I'm, I'm willing to put myself out there to get, to say, man, like, I don't know everything. Um, I'm here for this conversation right now because I want to learn. And I also want to tell my story because my hopes are that there's somebody out there that hears it that's like, okay, dang, there, there's a few good ones out there. And maybe if I can identify the fact that there, you know, there, there's actually a lot of good ones out there right. and you have my best interest at heart, that maybe me complying with what they're requesting me to do could save my life or somebody else's life or makes just life easier for everybody involved,
2: man. That's
0: so good. You have anything? Yeah. getting to the next, yeah, man, that's a good point. It makes me think about my own experience, right? Like, so obviously I'm a black man. I'm six foot three. I have a beard, right? I'm, you know, a biggish build. So I can be a person that appears intimidating based on what we find intimidating in in our society. Right. And so there are things that I intentionally do um, when engaging with a police officer for any reason, if I get pulled over or whatever else, to make sure I come off as unintimidating as possible. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not trying to determine that. What I am trying to say is like you're saying, and I think it's the end goal, right? Like the end of the day, more important to me than anything else is going home to my wife and kids, right? Right. And so, I'm gonna I'm gonna engage in situations and circumstances that could potentially be dangerous for me or for somebody else in a in a way that deescalates that thing as quickly as possible. And I think you know, um, obviously, in our society, there's not always equality uh, either which way, right? But the reality is, if we do our best to Behave a particular way. Hopefully, there'll be a, a favorable outcome. And, that, and and to be honest, right, we don't. We see that sometimes that isn't the case. Yeah, uh, we have seen that. But um, yeah, I think that's. I just think that's important. Like what yeah. you're saying.
1: And I, and I think if I can interject, man. That oh, go ahead. The, the reality is is that there are so many similarities between you and I, in the sense that like when when I hit the streets. I am mindful of how I'm dealing with the public. Mm. I try to de-escalate situations because I don't want things to go South as well. Right. So I want to go to my family and, you know, I've, I've got a wife of, you know, 17 years and, uh, you know, basically like, I've got two kids that are, that are young, eight and 10, you know? So like, I'm I'm the same way that I'm careful with with what I'm doing because I'm not out there just trying to alarm people. I'm out there trying to help the public.
2: Yeah, it's good, man. So good. Well, we want to get into our second question real quick. We've talked about a lot of stuff and one of the things I wanted to ask you just to get your perspective on, man, is like you're see listening to your story, you're you're seeing all of these different things Good and bad. You finally decide, you know, this is the path that I'm going to choose. And so I guess my question would be what is the primary role of a police officer? Like, what have you learned? What do you think? What's your opinion on the matter?
1: So I would say, uh, if I could use three words, serve and protect, right? Like, that's kind of the motto you see on. Uh, badges, patrol cars, you know, on TV, all that kind of stuff. And obviously, there's a lot of things that stem off of that idea of serving and protecting. Uh, and really, we should be serving more than we protect, in a sense, uh, mm. because we're not always put in those situations where we're literally, you know, protecting people uh, aside from, you know, the visible deterrence mm. type Uh, So oftentimes it is more about, you know, serving the community and saying, hey, you know, you left your car door open, like go close it so your stuff don't get jacked. Right. And and so I I feel like there's a lot more of of that service that's supposed to be kind of a a foundation within that. But I think when you you look at the realities of the job, I'm also a babysitter. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a lawyer. Um, You know, I'm, I'm basically whatever people kind of turn me into, so to speak, mm. um, because people have a lot of, um, again, miseducation about what law enforcement actually does. I mean, I've I've been called uh, to people's house because their, their kids are, you know, catching an attitude with them <laughs> or, or they don't go to school or something. And I'm like, aren't you their parent? Right, you, know, you go take care of this. This is not my place. So when I show up now, their kids feel like I'm there on their parents' side, and reaffirming, you know, like the, their parents' authority. That's not that's not my job. The parents are supposed to reaffirm their own authority and Man. raise. Them. But we kind of get used as as pawns. You know, oftentimes when I walk into a store. Uh, I'll see a, you know, some parents or whatever with their kid and maybe their kid is is acting up a little bit and, and they kind of use me, they point me out and say, you know, like, see that officer over there? He's going to take you to jail if you, you know, do something bad, you know, like if you don't listen to mom and dad and I'm like, no, like I, I, I usually go over to the kid and high five them or, you know, whatever, and just reaffirm the good side of it. And their parents are like, dang, that kind of yeah. fell through. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I want to
0: happen. That's a good point, bro. I I didn't even thought about that. That sometimes you guys are used as a negative reinforcement by the public and then people get it in their minds that the police are only there to punish you. Yeah, basically punish you. They turn up if something bad's happening. They're never there if something good happens. So anytime you Mm -hmm. see a police officer, you automatically assume in your mind something bad is about to happen. (laughs) That's a great point.
1: I, I got a story. And this is just going to make you guys laugh. Um, okay. well, I got called to a noise uh, noise disturbance once, basically a loud music call. Yeah, and uh, man, I show up at the door, and they're they're very clearly having a party. It's all adults, you know. There's nothing illegal that, that I'm seeing, but but obviously I got a call, and I have to let them know, hey, you got to keep down the music. They they thought I was a stripper. They, Whoa. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, <laughs> on one hand, I was very flattered. But on the yeah. other side, you know what I'm saying? Like, the yeah. reality was that, like, people, you know, have so many viewpoints of, of what police officers are, are doing. And, like, some are, like, when they see me, they wave with all five fingers, and they're excited, and they're <laughs> back to blue and super supportive, mm-hmm. and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. on the flip side of it, you you get a person that sees me and simply because of the uniform color that I wear, they see me as blue. And automatically it goes to fear. It goes to uh, a desire for violence against me. Uh, It goes to, you know, just being on level 10. Even if I'm like, I I remember being at a college campus and I was getting some some new officers, some textbooks for the police academy. Uh, I do recruiting for my department. And I walked by this dude and he had like a a Death Row Records T-shirt on. And I was like, yo, like that. That's so throwback from my childhood because I I loved hip hop. Right. So
3: I'm
1: like, man, I see your shirt like that's dope. Where'd you get it? And he's like, man, don't worry about it. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, I'm complimenting your shirt. And and he basically he caught such an attitude with me. And I'm just talking to the dude about his shirt. But because of the uniform, it was like automatically I had a completely different response from this individual Mm. um, than maybe if I wasn't in uniform.
2: Right. Man, it's just that dehumanization that we're able to get into both ways. You know, it's like you're able to see this person no longer as a person. They're just a cop. You know, and vice versa, when you're I I would imagine when you're policing people, you get used to seeing the same people or the same types of things over and over again. You just be like, oh, that's those low lives. You know what I mean?
0: Yep.
2: Yeah, man. In that, in that vein, I mean, we've kind of talked about what the responsibility of a of a police officer is, what their primary duty is. But what and I guess this is the question maybe you can help clarify for our audience, like, what are the responsibilities the citizens have?
1: Man, I love this question Um, because I I think that there is a huge call to action. And we see a lot of, you know, media outlets that that cover stories about law enforcement and how law enforcement did X, Y, Z. And maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad, whatever. Yeah. What we need to be seeing is new stories about citizens stepping up to become a part of the police department. And I'm not just talking about from an employment perspective as much as I'm talking about uh, a lot of police departments have like a citizen's police Academy that you can go through. It doesn't certify you or anything like that, but it basically gives you an opportunity to learn about all the different areas and divisions of a police department. Mm. And by the end of it, you live, you know, you leave there with a far clearer viewpoint of what your actual local police department is doing and dealing with.
3: Mm.
1: When I think about how, you know, the the community, can can be there. I think about how you know really they are available to you know hold officers accountable in, in in the sense to where if if they are seeing things that you know aren't aren't right, like they have an ability and they should be calling a supervisor and filing complaints as, as mm. necessary. Um, so I, I think that that they can do that. I think that they can encourage. Proper legislation, they can encourage more training and offering, uh, you know, their tax dollars to go toward building up law enforcement and emergency services as a whole. Because you know mm-hmm. we don't really talk about the mental health side of, of law enforcement very often, or at least yeah. publicly. But we see some things and that's mm-hmm. tough to deal with, and Man. those things sometimes impact our our general day to day duties. To go from a barking dog call. To the next call, we we got a two-year-old that's dead. Hmm. And then to be expected to go deal with somebody stolen iPhone that they left out on the counter, and they expect me to, you know, basically go above and beyond after I've just, you know, witnessed a two-year-old that's dead. Wow. And so I think within that. that man. I, I think within that the, the community can can support law enforcement. Um All while doing all these other things as well, like I said, you know, just holding officers accountable, seeking legislative change, requiring additional training and supporting officers all at the same time, like polarization is not the answer, and so mm. meeting in the in the middle, I think is how the community can help us most
2: man, i'd one hundred percent agree. Now I was just thinking while you're talking, I think in some ways citizens are starting to do that with you know like their phones and whatnot uh, but what I've seen with that is it it's kind of like a a um a way to instigate the cops you know what I mean and so on on maybe if that's an extreme side right like what do you think about that idea? I know that a lot of uh police departments are wearing the body cams now but but just the society we're living in now where you know citizens are like turning their cameras and be like yo all right transparency like what would you speak to that
1: on on one hand i i i love having my own body cam right because that is the source of vindication and clarity that a lot of officers just haven't historically had because the means weren't there right uh, but on the flip side of it, I also know that, unfortunately, when certain people, um, and really, honestly, law enforcement could do this as well. But because of the way certain laws are written, they tended to, to show more. Uh, but people can, can really take small clips and, and show something happening and go straight to social media and be like, putting the officer on blast. Right. In actuality, what they didn't show was the events leading up to that and the leading the events that that happened afterward. Mm. And so it's very easy for us to allow a one sided, you know, projection through video to communicate something and then people kind of create their own narrative.
3: Yeah.
1: it. Um, and, and like I said, to, to be on, on this, the straight and narrow, I think that police departments could do that as well. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there, there's that side where they have, uh, their, their city to protect, you know? And so there's kind of like, Hey, we we need to be mindful of this, but you really shouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. Like, but you, there's, there's, again, a lot of nuances in there that you have to consider, of not releasing too much information if it may negatively impact a criminal investigation that's active because, um, mm. you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into these things.
2: Mm. Yeah. And sometimes when things get released on social media before it ever has a chance to go to a court, you know, sometimes I think like, man, how can anyone ever get a fair trial when basically they seem, you know, video, And who knows what's happened to videos, you know what I mean? But like, basically, we've already seen the events unfold, at least parts of them. And so the public's mind is kind of already made up. And so in some regard, I see that as a good thing. But also I see it as a possible liability for, for good legislation to happen. You know, like when something happens or say legislation for good, you know, like when it comes to a court, for them to be able to handle the case in a fair way. You know what I mean? yeah and and instantly, what my mind goes to is the the most recent situation of uh the ahmad aubrey case you know um and this is what leads me into the whole conversation about what you think citizens ought to be doing you know it's like in the video, you see three non police officers basically handling a situation, whatever you see on that and so in that regard it's like the cops didn't get to do their job because (laughs) you know what I mean? And so, so what would you say to something like that?
1: So, you know, I, I don't feel it's appropriate and this, this is not coming from a place of fear. Right. Um, I'm not scared to talk about the cases, but I think in, in the sense of respect of, or understanding that I wasn't there, Mm. Um, I don't know all the facts because, you know, and, and I think it's important for me to communicate this too. When it, when it comes from a police officer shooting, and I, and I realize the case that you're referring to does not specifically involve a on-duty police officer using deadly force. Right. But if I, at work, were to get involved in a shooting, uh, basically what's going to happen is my department's going to do an investigation The county that that I'm in will do an investigation. The Texas Rangers, which is our state policing agency, will do an investigation. Mm.
3: Uh,
1: And if it is basically a high, highly publicized event like Mike Brown uh, shooting was, then the federal agencies are going to come in and do an investigation like the FBI, Mm. uh, things of that nature. So there may be four or five different agencies running concurrent investigations because of the one shooting and what well, a lot of people what, so
2: that's what would make things take longer and as far as like yes. justice happening yes because I, know, I think that's how most people are or at least some of the people i talk to they're like god if this had been a white person it would have been handled like in two weeks it's taken all this time and no one's done anything so they kind of feel like see they're just trying to sweep it under the rug but what you're saying is a little different
1: yeah. And, and, it, and in fact, in, if I were to get in a, in a shooting and, and say it resulted in the death of another individual, even a justified situation, they actually will take a report for homicide and list me as a suspect. Mm. So I'm listed as a suspect in a homicide for a justified shooting. And basically I go through due process. Now it may not result in an arrest, but basically that information is treated the same until it goes before a grand jury and a decision's made in terms of, okay, you know, are, are we going to, you know, basically charge this person formally uh, mm-hmm. and have them arrested? Or are we going to basically drop the charges as a justified shooting? So to answer your question, yes. Um, I mean, I've, I've had cases like DWIs, and I, and I realize that DWI is far different than a murder case. but. Mm-hmm. I've I've had even felony cases that are that are equal to murder um, here in Texas that take two and three years just to get to trial.
2: Wow!
1: So, so the investigative process—we um, don't want to take shortcuts. You know what I mean? Like we, there are so many people to talk to, and especially on these events where there's dozens and dozens of witnesses to get all of their statements and to process that and to you know, talk to different people and, and get all the different medias uh, from potential, uh, you know, surveillance cameras that are in the area or other witnesses, like those things take a lot of time. And unfortunately, um, that, that kind of comes off as, you know, when, when you're not kind of in that loop to know exactly what happens procedurally, that may looks like, well, what else are the cops doing? They're just dragging their feet.
0: Mm. Man. That's interesting. That's a lot to take in for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the double-edged sword with this whole situation though. It's like the citizens have power to turn their phones on for accountability purposes, but they don't have the right to demand how a criminal proceeding moves forward because they're not duly elected officials. So even though something's been recorded and released on the internet, you still have a criminal proceeding to go through. So when that information gets leaked to the public, the sense that the public has is why is this taking so long? But in the past, you didn't have video evidence out before a case happened. It was afterwards and it makes it to the newspaper or, you know, like a short blurb on stuff. And then you found out information Hmm. as the, as the court began to do their process. And so I kind of feel I mean, my wife, she's not a law enforcement agent, but she works for uh, the department of child safety and she's in court all the time with situations with people who are guilty of real criminal conduct. And sometimes I think like, Oh my gosh, like does it take this long to put this guy behind bars?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy to think about. Yeah, man. And like in your mind, and this may be, this is a bit of a random question. Is there is there really any way that that those things can be done more expediently? Like, is there a reason why it takes so long, other than the investigation process? Is it that there's not enough police officers? Is it that there's not enough funding? Is it like are there m- macro issues at play that make the justice system walk the way that it does, or is it just it is what it is?
1: It's all of the above. I mean, there, there are so many things with, within this to go, go uh, toward. And, and to your point, I mean, it's everything from staffing to, you know, I, I think the biggest issue though, is that people run it, right? Like we, yep. we are people who oftentimes there's a lot of people that want to do really good things and, and get into this job for the right reason. But, on that note, it's like there, there's also this element to where, you know, when you think about all the logistical things that have to happen for the judge, and you know how many people are really in the system as it is, who, uh, you know, they they've got to, you know, make the decision. I mean, they they may be very clearly guilty. I mean, like the video camera showing that they did it, but because right. they say, well, I, I want my time in court. Because they're just hoping for something to happen that maybe they can get off uh, scot free from that charge, and they they go ahead and, and challenge it, and so now we have to spend you know a week or whatever on a trial that's a very obvious outcome, and sometimes you know I, I've seen people um, you know that that are very obviously um, you know guilty of a certain offense and because they've got money they're they're able to work it in their favor
2: man you know? yeah or some kind of technicality i've seen that with the department all kinds of times like some kind of technicality they get off on they walk and no justice ever happens with stuff
1: yep because and, some
2: agent didn't give the right form when they did a removal or because you know whatever different and obviously that's in child welfare but i could only imagine it's being a million times more difficult in law enforcement.
1: And there, there's actually a case that that kind of goes through that idea. It's called the uh, fruit of the poisonous tree, and mm. the idea of that is that if a investigation is started uh, and it's not really done in good faith or, or whatever. So an example of that would be uh, an officer stops a car and uh, ends up finding three co- uh, kilos of cocaine in it, and he stopped them because you know, he, he thought that their brake light was out and it really wasn't. Um, And and there's kind of a, could be a mistake of fact, but if it's kind of shown that, no, he, he knew that it was like, or he ought to have known that it was functional, they may throw that entire case out and that person walks, you know, with, with no charges Hmm. and everything can be just basically dropped, even though he had, you know, all that dope in his car It was, you know, selling it uh, across the community just because of that fact that, that it was an unjust stop. Everything after it gets thrown out,
0: man. Yeah. And then on the flip side, which once you said and this is something we've been pointing to quite commonly in our conversations right now. A lot of these things like, you know, everybody talks about racism, sexism, those different types of things. But those things are secondary issues. The primary issue is that people are greedy and they want power. And so you see that work itself out in the justice system. Like you said, people who have money can get off. You know what I'm saying? And so like, even though they may have done something wrong, they may get off on a technicality. And that's not to say that there aren't times where the justice system doesn't get those people. But what we do see as well, from my understanding, is that people that are poor and don't have the ability to get themselves a lawyer or don't have the ability to pay their uh, bond or whatever it is to get out of jail they can end up getting stuck in the system, right? And it's not necessarily a fault of their own. And they may or may not be uh, guilty. But because of their socioeconomic status, they get lost in the system. And the reality is in America, uh, socioeconomically anyways, we see that you know most poor people or poorer people socioeconomically tend to be people of color, yeah. even though the poor white is a growing population in the United yeah, States. Very true. Mm.
1: you know for for me um and i've I've tried to do my best, uh, and this is what we were kind of talking about in the in the pre interview like i've I've worked fifteen years in the job and and I've seen a lot of things and and a, as I'm exposed to the system more um and, and sometimes we call it a criminal justice system, mm. I always find that the system is just mm. And that's because, again, it's dealing with people and everybody's got their their own nuances and their own experiences that they've gone through. And so I think within that, you know, like I'm I'm thinking that, you know, man, like I've, I've spent these years doing the best I can and the right thing. But I think the right thing for me as as I'm going forward and, and maybe transitioning out of law enforcement, you know, in the next five years with retirement, um assuming that's kind of what happens, like I want to kind of revisit that mentality and and really try and keep the rest of my life towards this idea of keeping people out of jail mm. before it's even you know getting to that point. And I think there there are so many things that you know we could be doing as a society to try to um you know really challenge these perceptions and uh, give people a, a lot more um, opportunity to stay out of jail and, and have a sense of education and know what their rights are and to be able to, to have the opportunity to, because that impacts their, not only them, but their entire family and their entire community as a whole. And so if we could figure out ways to really work together to, um, to benefit, I think that why are we not doing that now?
2: Man, that's so good.
1: And I, I want to clarify too, like, I'm not going to wait until five years is up to kind of put this, this idea into play. Right? Like, I feel like I've been doing it in a sense since day one, but also my calling is one of, of serving and protecting. Right. And what some people don't realize is that serving and protecting is putting people in jail. Hmm. It's separating the people that want to devour innocent people for their own benefit. And so I don't want to like demonize this idea of putting people in jail as like a bad thing because there are people that deserve to go to jail for forever. Right. Um, in my mind. But at the flip side of it, like if there are people that we can help salvage through education and, and substance abuse prevention training, um, you know, and, and kind of addiction and recovery specialties type thing, like let's do those things. Let, let's put some money toward that to where we don't have to put money toward prisons.
2: Mm-hmm. That's man, that's help. so good. And that really kind of leads into the next question. Um, you kind of hit on it, but are there things that you've seen in your time at law enforcement, the other things that you mentioned that need to change? I mean, just listening to how, you know, we interact with one another, obviously is one thing, but just maybe one or two things off the top of your head, like, man, this is something that needs to change? Maybe this is why I'm here. Are there any things like that that you could share with our audience that you feel like, man, here's a, here's a few things that I'm really working on to hope to see change.
1: I I think the, the, the number one thing for me is, and I referred to it earlier is kind of the mental health side of things.
2: Mm. You mean the health of the officers?
1: Yes. Yes. How Um, did, what needs
2: to change with that?
1: So I, I think that the fact is that when, When a person gets hired, they go through a, at least in Texas, it's required to go in and have a psychological evaluation done by a professional. Right. Uh, And then if they are found to not be in good psychological health, they will not get the job. Um, But after that, there is no requirement for Mm -hmm. any follow up during a person's career. And so I think if you are in an area, um, well, wow. you know, high violence, you know, high call type thing. And, and even not, I mean, it only takes one call. I remember, uh, very early in my career, you know, I was a, I was a youth pastor for a year and a half. And I remember when I was in training, I had an, a, a juvenile who, uh, killed themselves by, by suicide. And, uh, I remember just taking a look at this kid who was the age of a lot of kids in my youth group who looked like he could have been one of the kids in my youth group, man. And that was really impactful to me. Um, and, And I'm not saying that like, it messed me up to the point to where, you know, like I was suicidal or anything like that, as much as just this idea that it was profoundly impactful and I needed to talk to somebody about you know, walking through these emotions that I was feeling. Man. Because you guys already know, you know, in, in dealing with with people, when when you take on their emotions and you just hold on to it, there's going yeah. to be a breaking point for you at some way. And yeah. it's going to be through sin, it's going to be through, you know, just kind of losing it and mental breakdown if you don't have healthy ways to deal with it. So I feel like um, you know, additional compensation could go toward peer support programs within law enforcement mm-hmm. agencies uh, and also on the fire and the EMS side as well, because they're literally putting hands on people yep. who are, you know, deceased, bleeding out, trying to rescue them and and knowing that they did everything they could, but everything that they could wasn't enough. Dang okay? So just kind of, that's the thing that in my mind, and then you got to think about the ripple effects, right? Like how would you act towards somebody else if you just saw, you know, an 11 year old get raped by a family member and and had to go talk to that 11 year old, what would your response be toward, you know, other people on on the following call? And I'm not saying that it's right. right,
3: You're absolutely right. You say it it, is what it is
1: it's understandable in a sense how that's a struggle for people to yeah. Yeah. keep from this idea of like having having experience just as a secondary experience right
2: yeah, um, secondary
3: trauma
1: yeah that's that's traumatic, yeah I you was know, at c
2: s for eighteen months, man, and I got traumatized enough in that eighteen months to make my mind up that like no, I can't handle this line of work. But like you're saying, I can, I can imagine it. and you've been in it for over a decade. I can't imagine you and some of the things other guys who have been there longer have seen. And If there's no mental health care over that, dude, I could totally
0: see. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy to me that there's no, there's nothing really in place. You know what I mean?
1: Now, I will say that some departments do have, you know, an ability like a you know, EAP kind of thing uh, where, you know, employee assistance program to where they can call somebody and talk to them. But let's be real, man. Like cops are going to want to talk to somebody else that's in the profession because <laughs> a psychological professional, although they may be helpful, they ain't seen what we've seen.
2: Man, that's so good.
1: And so we we need people that are within it or who have retired or even pastors that are able to kind of step up, um, and, and I, I specifically say say pastors because I think that they're working within the community and a lot of times dealing with a lot of those challenging yeah. sides of things as well. well Public
0: servants, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I I quite commonly, honestly, in my mind, I don't see a major distinction between the pastor and the police officer because I feel like once again. What's the, the job of a pastor is to love and care for the community, to protect the community. And obviously, he has um, different ways that he can do that. And But the police officer, in my mind, is doing the same thing. They're kind of in the community, taking care of the community, caring mm-hmm. for the people that are there, protecting them when things happen. Uh, and so I mm-hmm. kind of see it as a shepherding role, like a police officer yeah, um, in that sense. So it's interesting that you bring that up.
3: Yeah,
2: it's like, you know, the sword, right? Mm -hmm. Like they have the sword that is talked about in the scriptures, you know, like they don't bear the sword in vain, but the pastor has the sword of the word, you know, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. So you ready for another question? Let's do it. All right. So have you seen issues of racial injustice with, I know there's a lot of, talk about there definitely on the internet, but from your experience, have you seen any issues like that with racial injustice in PD, either how uh, certain individuals were treated or maybe how uh, certain employees maybe got handled? Like what's, what's really going on there?
1: So I'll say for, for me, you know, my, my department is more of a suburban type agency.
3: Okay.
2: So
1: um, just kind of putting it out in that perspective that um we don't really have a lot of diversity within my department as a whole. Um, I mean, okay. we, we are more diverse now than I think we have ever been. Okay. But I think through that lens, I will say that I've have never heard of an officer being, you know, racist or mean-spirited intentionally, um, or, or really accidentally in the sense of like outwardly toward another person or group of individuals. But I will say what I have seen is that, you know, when when you're not familiar with a person or a type of person, right, like, you know, we'll say uh, a a Black person may not be, you know, around very many white people or vice versa, you kind of stick with what you know, right? Mm. And so that unfamiliarity kind of rears up its head on calls to where, you know, some cultures may, may do things a certain way. And if you're not familiar with that, that may seem intimidating or suspicious, or it may seem um, maybe almost violent in a Mm -hmm. sense. If you're the type of person, like I I use, you know, uh, when John and I talked the other day, I I use like an Italian person uh, example. And and oftentimes you'll see Italians, um, you know, Use their hands when yeah. they speak, or they'll speak loudly, uh, and some people if if they don't know that about you know that particular group of individuals, then that may come off as scary, man, they were yeah. using their hands and I felt like they were coming at me and or or because they got inside my bubble. You know what I'm saying, and officer safety is a huge thing for us, yeah, and so we we have to really do things to encourage people to. Uh, you know, kind of we're, we're, watching their hands at all times. We're, we're bladed. We're kind of, you know, kind of off stepped a little bit from them, keeping our gun away. And and that's kind of our approach to every person because the reality is we don't know if that's because of their culture or because they're making a move to hurt us. Mm. And so all that to say, like, I do see that is that there is a lack of cultural understanding that exists with, with people as a whole uh, and certainly law enforcement is is not a place where that's not occurring as well. Right. And so I think that it's kind of within that space that maybe some of this conflict or really a lot of this conflict is occurring where, you know, people are getting upset because they feel like they're being mistreated when in actuality, the officer just needs to remain calm during the whole thing. And really, so does the other person. And then they can really talk and communicate and, and figure out, okay, let's let's both safely get home. You know what I'm saying?
2: Are those conversations that are happening right now from your understanding? Like, obviously I feel like society over the past decade, especially with the advent of the camera phone and the internet, the way it is, like everyone has the internet, everyone has a phone, you know, data. Mm -hmm. And so like, are you seeing that like, that's because of the era that we're in that law enforcement is having these conversations internally, like, Hey guys, we need to get better. Or like, what are you seeing on that?
1: (laughs) I'm going to speak really openly here. Um, What? No, I I don't see a lot of conversations uh, specifically had from a like high level, like you know, chiefs meeting and saying, "Hey, guys, we're we're going to have this awareness awareness type of training," right? Because it's a very difficult thing to really carve out of what we're going to look like. But when they have legislative change that basically creates, you know space to try and gain additional statistics, I see a lot of that happening. And so, you know, when we talk about racial profiling and stuff like that, the conversation tends to be more of, okay, in what ways can we figure out what this officer was doing versus in what ways can we talk about, you know, officers uh, being people that can really talk to a wider variety of people? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think you're making a profound point, bro. And I think it's important for people to understand. And I think it's like the nuances of the conversation. And so, like, and you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but here's what I'm picking up. In the, in this kind of conversation, what can happen is you have two people who don't understand each other, right? Their, their cultures clash and the way that they're talking to each other communicate different things according to how they're interpreting it. But then what we see is, one person in our society has been given a certain amount of power that allows them to do things that the other person cannot. Right. And then in that miscommunication, some real issues can arise and it can end up being that this person, the police officer uses their power because they feel unsafe. The authority they've been given to take a certain action and it may end up with something really tragic happening. And then what happens is that gets painted as uh, you know, racism or get to paint it gets painted as an abuse of power. And I think, uh, to some degree that is true, but it's not true in the way that we think it is. Does that make sense? Institutionally true, but not individually. Exactly. Yes. And so I think we miss that, like the macro culture and the, the melting pot that we live in and really the inability that we have to communicate with each other as humans, mm. right. And the miss, the misunderstandings we have about each other, and then the fact that i have something that you don't have and i'm going to use it to keep myself safe mm-hmm. right and i'm not saying that's right or wrong i'm just saying that's true ends up with something happening that perhaps didn't have to happen does that make sense
1: yeah it, it does and and i agree that 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 probably is what the deal is because what the byproducts of that are that certain white officers may feel like they get painted a certain way as a racist if they get right. into it had nothing to do with the fact that they are not racist. You know what I'm saying? Like they themselves, but it gets painted that way. And I think on the flip side, you may have a young black male who gets painted as a criminal and they start bringing up his past, which mm-hmm. may or may not have anything to do with what's going on, but it's like, everybody wants to paint.
3: Yeah. You know I mean? great.
1: It's like, all we want to do is is paint to, to match the agenda that we feel is most appropriate Um, And and while that is very much human nature, it's not always the right thing. And I think we have to be far more open minded with the nuances that exist to say, well, that cop may not be racist. And and maybe even though I do have this video of, of this happening, maybe I shouldn't share it. Maybe I should only share it with the police department. Or, mm. or like there, there are so many things that everybody has to make their, their own decision. I mean, you know, everybody's responsible for their own. But I think there is a sense of responsibility to the general public that you have to think about how your actions or reactions are going to impact the culture as a whole.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask. What obligation does PD have to the public? Like, what are they obligated to do?
1: Well, I mean, obviously we're, we're charged with, like I said earlier, serving. Protect and
2: serve. Right. But yeah. what I mean by that more is like, are they obligated to treat people a certain way? Are they, you know, do like, I know I've seen the times before, like, are our citizens obligated to show respect? Like when it comes to obligations in, in, in terms of the interactions, if that makes any kind of sense.
1: I got you. Okay. So there, there are policies that most agencies have about really conduct-related okay. stuff, and when I say conduct, I'm talking about professionalism, the way like a code it, of conduct, that, that, that type of stuff, and it is going to cover you know professionalism with how you're dealing with people, and even in Texas now because of the uh, what, what they call the Sandra uh, Sandra Bland Act, uh, they what was basically, that? Uh, if, if you're familiar with, with Sandra Bland.
0: Uh, a it was little a bit. Texas A&M lady who basically there was a whole ton of miscommunications in that whole thing. And it ended up with her hanging herself in the jail cell. Oh, well. Yeah. 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 I'm familiar with that case. So okay. they passed a, a law because of it? So I'll, I'll
1: give you a very short overview of it. But she was basically stopped on a traffic stop. Um, her and the the trooper that stopped her, there there seemed to be a conflict and, uh, basically that resulted in her being arrested for a misdemeanor traffic violation. Hmm. Uh, She ended up while in jail, she hung herself. Uh, and, uh, there was a lot of, you know, things that kind of came out afterward about the investigation that, uh, there was concerns about whether or not the officer really released all the information about what happened and got uh, you you know, there there was a lot of that type of stuff. So all that to say that the state decided to, uh, you know, basically create a law where there's more statistical reporting that has to occur uh, in addition to the traditional racial profiling stuff that we've Mm -hmm. done historically and really my entire career, uh, Mm. if not the majority of it. But uh, one of those things is being able to uh, give a card to traffic violators, you know, if they're stopped on reasonable suspicion or probable cause, meaning they, it was actual probable that they broke a, a law of some sort. Uh, they have to basically get a card that has our department's telephone number on it, ways that they can compliment the officer or complain as well. So uh, to, to your point, yeah, I mean, agencies do adopt this idea of, you know, communication and that's something that well, they clear. are trying
2: to they are trying to fix problems. And I think that that's right? That's the view that the citizens have is like, you know, you guys are just going about business as usual while people are getting gunned down out here in the streets and y'all don't give a dang about reforming your ways, you know? And 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 but at the same time I'm like, bro, these cops didn't get hired to be mentors and social workers and that's what I meant by what obligation does PD have to the citizens? Like do I got to be this kid's social worker? Do I got to, you know, like I'm not their parent? That's kind of what you were hitting on earlier, and to me, sometimes I feel like, man, we sure are putting a lot of burden on cops to be all these things, and not just a cop.
1: <laughs> that's that's a tough reality of it, uh, because mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it's it's everything from people expecting us to, like, I always laugh. Um, there, there are people that are like, well, you know, this, this robbery suspect that, you know, held a gun and shot two people. Why couldn't you have just shot the gun out of his hand? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it doesn't work that way. Come on, Hawkeye. You know what I'm saying? Like, as, like as, as, geez, we're trained.
2: Aren't you guys like basically part the Avengers?
1: <laughs> yeah. Like as, as superhero ish as I am, mm. you know what I'm saying? That, that stuff is, is not the reality. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, there there's a lot of focus from the community to, you know, you have all these different opinions about what we should be doing and, and all that kind of stuff. And all we're going to do is the best that we can uh, with the information that we have and that's known at the time.
2: Man, that's so good. So a couple more questions, man. Um, and I know you hit on this a little bit earlier concerning uh, where your police department is located. And I uh, just wanted to kind of get your opinion on this. Do you feel like there are efforts being made to di- diversify the police force? Like, are, I know you said that you, you kind of have some recruitment duties. Like, what are some of the things that are coming down either through policy or just things that you're hearing like, hey, let's work on diversity? Is that, is a lot of stuff like that conversations happening or, or what's going on there?
1: It, it is. But again, it's a interesting conversation to have. Right. Because the idea is not like, hey, go hire a bunch of black guys to go be cops or go, you know, hire a bunch of Asian males. You know, like that. That's not the conversation. That should never be the conversation. Mm. The conversation should always be let's hire the most qualified person for the job. Um, but I think within that, where you're going to recruit is an important element within that Mm-hmm. and i think about how um, you know what what recruiting should look like and when when i say that i'm thinking about you know it's like when you go to a barber shop right like right. I, i'm talking about like not just a haircut place where it's very uh, surface conversation but i'm talking about the barber shop where you go in and you spend time within, you know, a community of people, and they're all razzing each other, and you know everybody <laughs> yeah. knows each other, and it's like it's real talk. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that's how recruiting needs to be. Is that when I go to the, you know, these events and all that kind of stuff, like I'm Ben, I'm not officer so and so, I'm just myself, and I have interest, and and I'm a person outside of the uniform. And I, I think about how people can use their, their talents and their gifts to bring that into the law enforcement realm versus us trying to just duplicate a bunch of cops. Like, I don't think today's generation is interested in just becoming a robot. Mm. I'm not interested in hiring robots either. So I think within that, yeah, like I, I would love to, to diversify uh, my department more to really look like how the United States looks. You know what I'm saying? With different yeah. religions and, and different um, races and ethnicities and things of that nature that, that make us more approachable. Because there are certain cultures that don't want to talk to a certain officer. Right. You know, there are cultures that don't want to talk to a female officer. They want to talk to a male or they don't want to talk to a white officer. They want to talk to a Hispanic one, uh, one that speaks their, their language, understands their cultures. And so why are we not trying to recruit more in different circles? And so, yeah, there's there's definitely drives to to do that, but I want to do it in the right way. Like I don't want to just do it because I felt like, oh, this policy is written and it says I must diversify. Like it's it's the not- <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> doing
0: not doing it to be political, but doing it because yeah. it's the right thing. Yeah, that's so, good. That's really good.
1: That's my heart with it. Um, and if I can talk too, man, it, it's important for me to to really go into the challenge of becoming a police officer because I yeah. think a lot of people don't understand the work that goes into it. And that, you know, depending yeah. on where you're at, it's anywhere from a four month process. I, I, I'm just talking about the hiring process. I'm not talking training. Mm. It's four so is, that what,
2: is that the stuff you mean by like, what are the things that are challenging for police officers?
1: Yeah. And, and, and this is, this is the, the, the challenge that we have in hiring people mm. uh, is, is that when, when you lose your job, you're looking for a job like yesterday, right? Right. A family to take care of. You can't wait six months to, to get a job or a year in some places, especially in the Northeast. Right. Uh, so w- with us, you know, there's a basic application that you do. Uh, and, and if you meet the minimum requirements, basically of each step. You pass and you move on to the next. If for some reason you don't, you're done with the process and you have to reapply it at a later date. Right. So the steps are like our, our application is very basic, but we have a personal history statement that's 39 pages long.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: And it's, it's asking lifetime questions, you know, about criminal activity, drug use. So if you smoke weed in, in you know, middle school, you're going to have to talk about it to us. Uh, job history for 10 years, every address you've lived at for 10 years, we're checking records to make sure that you didn't get in trouble with any of those things. I mean, it's, it's very, very involved. And and we're talking to probably on average 10 to 15 references about each person uh, that we bring on. But even after that initial application, there's a written test, a physical agility portion Mm. Uh, there's a preliminary face-to-face interview. There's a mm. oral board where you're sitting down with members of our department. They're asking you questions, uh, about, you know, how would you act in this situation? Then there's a background investigation, a polygraph, a psychological evaluation, wow. a medical and a drug screen. And so this process, again, it's depending on like, man, it's, it's work. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't want to do all that. And mm. so, when you have a demonization of law enforcement through culture, or you know whatever, you know, happened to where you see it, police as like the enemy, like you're not interested, and even if you were starting to get interested, that process is very challenging.
0: Mm. That's going to weed a lot of people out.
1: Yep, and it does, That's and, and it's so for, true. I mean, it it is right, but um, but at the same point, man, we we have a lot of openings mm. and that becomes a systemic thing as well when you look at agencies that are having you know they're down a third of their entire department so wow. what do you think's going to happen they're basically going to take officers out of the areas where there's less crime and put them where there's more crime and you think about areas that have more crime, that means that there's more officers there to deal with it, which means more arrest, whereas other areas that are quote-unquote safer have less policing.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but even, and even if there is stuff going on over that, you're going to see less of it because you're not there.
1: Yep, yep.
0: It's a good so, point.
1: Like I said, there's a, there's a lot of nuances that, that goes in with this, and, and we need police officers. Like, we need people to... Um, you know, have hearts for their community that are able to know the difference between right and wrong and good and bad and and everywhere in between because really that's what we're dealing with with is the in-between 90% of the time. It's not always that very cut and easy. Oh, you killed this person? Okay, you go to jail. It's situations like, you get a kid that you know had a single marijuana joint on him, and he's never been in trouble in his life, and he's got plans to go into the military in two weeks. But if you write him a ticket or take him to jail, that ruins his opportunity to go into the military. So what do you do? Do you take action against them? because it's like a first time or military type system, or you know, do you not? Like, what is, what does that look like? And so we need people yeah. that are going to be able to evaluate. You know, these types of situations and put in an application. If you're saying that there's so many issues out there and there's so many problems with police, come be a part of
0: the solution. Man, that's good, bro. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to say to that? Yeah, bro? I mean,
2: stop complaining about everything and step up, right? I mean, that's basically what you're saying. And, you know, when I think about 17 year old Ben. You know, or however old you were when you went on that. Were you seventeen when you went on that car ride?
1: No, I was. I was uh, in college, so I
2: was like That's 19. Right. nineteen. So I'm thinking nineteen year old men. You know, you get bit by the bug, so to speak. You figure all that out. What would you say to young people today? You know, obviously our podcast were for influencers a Gen Z, for teenagers today. But what would you say to? either the influencers or to the, the teenagers, the Gen Zers themselves who are considering a career in law enforcement? Like what are the things that you would say to them?
1: The first bit of advice I would have is go do it. Like if, if, you're, the, if you're the type of person who's spent a lot of time thinking about it, go do the research, figure out what it looks like, go, go talk to officers, go do that ride along that I refer mm-hmm. to, uh, figure is out what difficult? that would be.
2: How hard is it to get a ride along? You could just.
1: It it will depend on the agency's rules. There are some departments that will say, hey, you know, we're only going to allow, you know, people that live in our community to do a ride along. Um, you know, some will say we'll allow whoever to do it. Uh, you know, some, it's if you're a friend of an officer, you can do it. So there there are typically ways to do it. You just have to call around and ask those questions. Got you. And you also have to have a clean background to be able to do it. You know what I'm saying? Because you're going to sit in a front seat of a police car with access to, to you know, rifle, a shotgun, police radio, police computer that has criminal history information. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if you've been convicted seven and a half times for felony, you know, uh, offenses, they're going to say no to you. So right. <laughs> you can influence her in another way. You know what I'm saying? But I, I think at the same point, like if, if you really legitimately have an interest in, in getting into this job, go figure out what it looks like and uh, be honest w- with yourself and, and those uh, you know that are around you when you're going through it as well. Uh, because the number one reason people don't get jobs is because of the omission of information and deception. So it's yeah. just like in the regular world, man, like people want jobs and they're willing to say whatever right. instead of just coming out there and being like, yeah, I smoke weed, um, you know, 20 times type thing when I was growing up and, you know, I've learned from it and I'm a better person. Like I would rather hire a person that's done weed 20 times than a person that, you know, is is going to lie about things. Right. Uh, you know, even if they've done it like once or, you know, whatever. Like I've even had one one person that told me they did smoke weed. And, and then later found out that they didn't
3: Oh well. they
1: they, because they, they felt like it would give them a heads up, so to speak, uh, because they they felt like that would make them uh, more like the rest of the applicants. Mm-hmm. So just be honest about who you are and and bring what you have to the table, because no matter what your thing is, like my thing is hip hop, like I said earlier, and I've worked for a record label. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of promotions. I've I've been a, a booking manager uh, for for an artist before, so like, I'm well acquainted with that community, and I love sharing that with people because that's one of those things where they're like, "Wait, you're but but you're you're white and, and you're a cop, and you're you're this," and they they start kind of putting you in a box, right? And mm-hmm. then they find out it's like, "Wait a second, like." You you actually know stuff, like you know people kind of thing, that's and it's like people get tripped out by that. Well, come do that same thing with whatever your thing is, and use that for, for good within your community.
0: Man, that's so that's good. good, bro. It's really good. Hey, quick question for you. Something I've been it's on my mind a little bit. It's more of a macro question, but I just want to get your opinion on it. Um, so obviously there is a barrier of mistrust particularly between uh, the black community and police, right? And obviously that goes back to all different types of things throughout the history of the United States. Um, And so you as a police officer, seeing everything you've seen, um, you know, what would you have to say about that mistrust and what are some ways perhaps that we can begin to um, build that bridge again between police officers and people of color? Or for the first time, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, or for the first time. Like, what needs to happen in your mind? Like, what are some things that need to happen in communities? I think
1: that humility is the foundation of all this. Um, Understanding that there's a lot of hurt that exists um, within communities. And I think that the only way we're going to understand like when I say we, I'm talking as police officers, I think we generally understand that there's hurt out there. um, But when, when we're actually allowed in to circles is when things start changing. Mm. So what What do you mean by that? Yeah. So what that may look like is if there's like an event going on within, I mean, let's just call it how it is. Right. Like, Typically, the division that that you're referring to is the black community and white police officers. Right. So maybe what that would look like is if if the black community may allow officers to come in and, you know, have discussions over a mill. And I'm not talking about a televised event where it's like, hey, everybody, we've got the white cops coming over and we've got the, the you know, black people showing up and, and we're, we're going to talk about these issues. Like, it's not about that as much as it's about this idea of let's drop some of this um, who's going to talk loudest and who's the more right and just listen. And I think that that is the foundational thing that comes through humility is just being able to go, man, like tell me some of your experiences. And as you hear those experiences, you learn more about a person and you understand why there's mistrust. And then you hear from the other person and you may find yourself actually trusting somebody
3: Mm -hmm. and going,
1: man, like, you know, like at first I didn't like this dude. I mean, it's just like everybody else, right? Like there are people that you've met for the first time and you're like, man, nah, skip this dude. He's a he's a punk or whatever. And then you actually get to learn about them and you're like, oh, I I get it. You know, the reason that they're like this is because this happened to them or this was their, you know, perspective. And things change. So I I feel like maybe that's the approach, is not on a wide level, you know, um, let's Let's try and do this big event, but rather just on a I'm just going to go into the community and and meet with people and, and I need to be accepted. I need to be heard from as much as I want to hear from them. So I, I think that that's kind of where where things need to start is just on a one on one basis and and really being open to change.
2: Man, that's so good. Nope. Yep. And that really kind of leads us into our last question to wrap it up. You know, I know that we've kind of talked about your faith basically from the very beginning of the podcast. And there's been times and, and not all everyone in our audiences are believers, but we do share some things in common. And that's that we care about the next generation. And um, just was curious, you know, about you, like, what are some of the things concerning your faith? How does it guide you in your role as a law enforcement officer? Like, what's been the What's been the story on that for you man
1: it's It's been such an amazing journey of of both good and bad uh you know throughout my career when it when it comes to faith um when when I went to a Christian college and I saw what or I expected to see a lot of you know good people doing good things, I ended up seeing a lot of racism wow. In fact, John, I, I may have never told you this story, but in, in the city I went to college after my wife and I got married, so this was 2003, we walked into a furniture place and, uh, you know, didn't really like anything specifically there, so we're leaving out. This lady stopped us. Uh, I believe the lady happened to be Hispanic, but she says, so, so you didn't like anything? No, ma'am, you know, thanks for the time. She goes, well, you know, this is the black store. We got a white store on so-and-so street. Boom. And for me, coming from a city that's very large and diverse and, like, I've never experienced racism before. And so moving into, you know, how that impacted my college experience and seeing a lot of Christians that were saying to do one thing one way and doing another thing, and then moving into law enforcement, where I saw even more and worse things, um, and I found myself being isolated mm. and I found myself being really lonely and wow. looking for more, more things to life, even though I'm, I'm a believer and, you know, have worked as a youth pastor and all these types of things. Um, and it was a really dark period of, of my life. And, and when I say dark, I'm not talking about like I was going and doing, you know, shady stuff as much as this just idea of my identity like, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Who are other people? Can I trust people? And so there was a lot of that going on. And so I think wow. as, as I got to a point to where I, I changed roles from working in the patrol division to working in recruiting type stuff, and my per, perspective started to change a lot more because I was dealing with a different type of people, you know what I mean? Uh, and I was able to get back into church, where historically I hadn't been to church in years, uh, wow. at least consistently. And a big part of that was for no other reason but schedule, because mm. churches are very traditionally on Sunday morning, right? And right. what if what if you work on Sunday morning? Then what? What what options do you have? Mm. And so for for me. Like I've, I've seen some amazing things, man, from, from citizens have done amazing things toward other people, toward officers. Um, I've had the opportunity to do amazing things for, for people, uh, you know, just kind of under the radar without anybody knowing. And like, I love that I get the opportunity. Like I talked about that officer uh, at Chick-fil-A type thing. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be that Chick-fil-A cop.
3: Right. (laughs) Um, Two. (laughs)
1: but I want to be that guy that's out there for reasons though. (laughs) But, um, I want to be that guy that's out there kind of doing, you know, buying the food for either the criminal or the single mom behind me. Yeah. Uh, And and the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I'm in a good, healthy place myself. And so I think my, my faith has navigated a lot of that, uh, you know, both with, I've had seasons of having a lot of questions and Mm -hmm. that's okay. And I think I've had seasons of a lot of growth and I've had seasons where, and I just felt so broken and I had people come alongside of me during those broken seasons where it's Mm -hmm. like, I learned that not all people are bad. And I needed that in my life. Like I needed somebody that I could be very transparent and real with to say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with this or whatever. And they just show love and respect. And it's like, man, that is the most powerful thing is love. And when that actually, you know, hit my heart and I started getting involved in church again. That started me serving again in in church and and working with, with the youth and all that kind of stuff. So I think all that to say, like my my faith has absolutely navigated me through both good and bad um, seasons of my life. And, you know, as a Christ follower, I, I pray that my call right now as a police officer will be able to positively impact people that I deal with, whether it's them in an emergency situation where they may lose their life or, or they've lost somebody. Um, on the flip side of, of that, you know, to the person that I arrest, because I've been and I'll say this as a, as a bragging point, but just a reality of, of police officers in general that I've gotten many thanks for arresting people. Mm. Um, And and so that's one of the dopest things to hear from people is like, after the fact they come back and Hey officer, you know, remember me, I'm so-and-so you arrested me. And because you treated me in this way and you showed love and I redirected my life and I'm now doing these things, man, no better compliment than that. That's
0: dope, bro. That's crazy. That's cool. That is cool. Man, Ben, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, spending time with us and giving us a um, an eye into things that a lot of us don't have eyes into. Uh, and so my hope is this will be helpful for everybody who listens to it and um, it'll help us learn and grow. Like we always say, this is the uh, the beginning of the conversation, not the end. Um and so yeah this is the RLTKPHX podcast the Real Talk Phoenix episode 32 32 In the books find us on uh Facebook Instagram Twitter LinkedIn Facebook RLTKPHX uh, YouTube we, Did I say YouTube? I think I, I said think YouTube. you said YouTube. Well we love you guys and we're grateful. Uh hopefully this was helpful and we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace out.